In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Uh, I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Real. It's a similar show. Uh, same setup here. We just recently had uh, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was a cool dude. We've had uh, Tim Ferriss from The 4-Hour Everything. And we just had uh, a rock star that was in here. His name was Rao Reynolds. He, he uh, sings for a band called Enter Shikari. They're a real like, British post-hardcore band. And he was like the nicest dude you ever met in your life. you know. And he's on stage like... <gasps> screaming and um, they're really uh, big guys into the zeitgeist movement real message behind their music uh, but just the coolest guy you ever meet so uh, so uh, yeah check that out at London Real but today we're here to talk about tech my co-host is Colin Pyle uh, you're running uh, coffee companies that are selling out you got Lingo's Language Schools what's going on with you? Yeah super super busy London Coffee Festival last weekend which was which was awesome we had a nice stand you know Lost my voice over four days, but it was good fun. You know, lots of people testing our coffee. Sunday Times article just blew up lots of customers, so things are rolling. And then uh, Lingo's is going great. Um, last week mentioned Lingo's right now. We have a special for Silicon Reel, so 20-pound vouchers to, you know, uh, lingos.co slash Silicon Reel and uh, find a local teacher to teach you a language or at oh. least start. Yeah, test it out. Awesome. Yeah, so they can get a free, uh, free language lesson, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so give it a try. Excellent, excellent. Um, before we get to the show, I just want to thank our uh, sponsor, TaskRabbit, uh, which is an online marketplace that allows users to outsource small jobs and tasks. Uh, they do uh, a bunch of our like video backend stuff for Silicon Reel. They also will clean your house and fix your car and all this other crazy stuff. So uh, uh, check them out. You can use the code Real Twenty Five, get twenty five pounds free, and get a couple hours of, of everything. I think the three beers uses them to clean up after their events, or and there so yeah, go. everyone's using them. Lauren Sherman, the head of community, was on here a couple months ago, and uh, she was awesome. Uh, really. It's Great. So 25 pounds, get anything done, and 20 pounds, learn a language. language. Get yeah. cultured well, up. Well, get, yourself, get yourself sorted. And you say we never give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> best things, of in, day. Best things in life are free. Um, all right, on to the show. Our guest today is Mr. Benjamin Southworth, who was our very first guest on mm. Silicon Reel some yeah. 41 weeks ago. Wow. Uh, that's uh, quite a moment here. Uh, you are the former deputy CEO of Tech City. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a founder of Three Beards mm-hmm. and Tech Bikers, among many other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you, you're the host of Chew the Fat, which is uh, the Three Beards kind of what regular kind of town hall kind of discussion meeting, right? You kind of interview people in front of the audience. and Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, the, you know, it's the kind of fireside chat sort of thing. Right. It's, you know, interesting people, interesting conversation, and just trying to kind of – what we noticed was we felt – there's like too many panels or then there were kind of keynotes and no one really sort of got into the sort of the heart of the matter, really sort of questioned and, and, and sort of tried to unpack some of the ideas. So I spend quite a, a lot of time, I mean, as you do, you know, you know what it's like interviewing people. It's, you have to put a lot of research in, a lot of time in. If you really want to get something meaningful out, you have to, you have to know that person inside out. So um, tonight we've, we're doing a little dinner with uh, Devon Hunt and then uh, next month we've got... Uh, Dayan Sujik, who's director of the Design Museum, has written sort of, God knows, 15 to 20 books on uh, architecture. Um, it's just a really fascinating man about sort of culture, design, architecture, planning. So, you know, there's a huge amount to kind of research and read and try and kind of pull out the interesting stories and fascinating yeah, I take notes from your interview style. I, I watched <laughs> no, some, I like of your, uh, some of your pieces. Colin's been to a bunch of sure. events. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it's tricky. And you also have to be in the moment and stay in the moment. And you have a live audience, too, so mm. you've got to kind of feel them out. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy doing this job. Sometimes the microphones <laughs> um, don't work. We have that, that is, AV is a problem, and we're not quite as well equipped as this, this setup go. here. And we have our days. But uh, yeah, so that, that's awesome. That's I'm going to finish introducing 
introducing you. Uh, you also are the founder of the Ada Lovelace Academy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a free school for 16 to 19-year-olds specializing in digital and entrepreneurial skills. Mm. Uh, first of all, welcome back to Silicon Reel. Cool. Thanks. First time we've said that. First time ever we've wow. had someone So on the back. first repeat guest. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful. You know, I was looking back to an email because I was trying to contact Ben, and I looked back to the very first email I got from Ben, and, and I think uh, Bryce had just introduced me to him and said, yeah, that these guys are doing London Reel, they're thinking about doing Silicon Reel, and like the first message I got from Ben was this. This is what he said, quote, sounds amazing. I'd love to be involved in any way I can. Smiley face. And uh, I just want to say, like, that is part of the main reason we're doing this is because the community is just, like, such a positive place. Everyone is, like, always on board to support other people in any kind of venture they want to do. And I guess what drew me and, and you into this whole community and, like, wanting to do this show because it was, like, you know, everyone is just, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's promote each other. Let's help this whole community. So getting a little sentimental there. But, uh, you know, I know. I know. Um, and, like, it's good. I realized I was at the London Coffee Festival dealing with, mm. like, you know, Guys, old school coffee guys, right? You know, the growers to the roasters. And it's just like, they're all got their, you know, their cards close to their chest. And I was just so untech like. And it was, it was really, (laughs) it was really annoying. Like, I was really upset. Like, people come up to me and I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I'll introduce you to the guy that, you know, manufactures our capsules. And they're like, yeah, you can't, you can't just give away that information. I'm like, but if it was a tech business i would right right? it's just like you just help each other out and you just know that you'll do what's best for for everyone and not just be a you know only in it for yourself and yeah and i bumped into you with steph the hacker the other day Mm. and he had written an article on his blog about how like he doesn't sign ndas anymore he doesn't think anybody else should Mm. because he said ultimately the amount you sacrifice with trying to keep all that info really closed in and and ultimately it's not the execution it's the i mean the idea it's the execution Mm. and you know, just keep it open. And I guess it's new for me and us in this community, mm. but this is something you've seen from the get-go, I guess. Yeah, I just think, I mean, it's, there doesn't seem to be any benefit anymore to, to hiding away what you're trying to do because it's a little bit like you're closing down network effects, you're closing down um, the opportunity for people to help you and support you. And it's not, I don't know, it feels like a very old-school way of doing business. I mean... Yeah. Things are competitive, business is competitive, but it doesn't need to be hyper-aggressively competitive. It doesn't need to be sort of... Um, no one's really doing anything that interesting. You know, insurance companies, uh, banking, you know, even tech. I mean, the majority of things, unless you've got some really, really smart, clever IP uh, that is completely game-changing, just tell people what you're up to because they'll either help you or they'll support you or they'll tell you it's a bad idea or tell you it's a good idea or whatever you kind of... And actually, you need to know this stuff. It's not... You know, it's, it's crucial to get as much information about what's happening around you and, and what you're up to and, and sense-check stuff. And, you know, the internet enables that. That's the, the, the whole point of right. this. feedback, is, immediate yeah, feedback. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's, a lot of companies used to have stealth mode. I haven't used, heard that term used in years now. No, we had, a, we had a really interesting guy come down to drink about... This is probably nine months ago and I got really annoyed with him because uh, he was like I was like so what do you do and he's like uh, I'm in stealth and I'm like well you know of all the people here like maybe you should tell me and I'll tell you who you need to talk to he's like why should I do that and I'm like well, I've been running this for a while I kind of know a bunch of people like you tell me what you're doing and I'll tell you who you should talk to and make the introductions for you he's like no you'll take my idea I've got no interest in taking your idea. Like, <laughs> all I want to do is help you. And he's like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. You're still talking to him. Yeah. And like, and I, you know, but I got so annoyed because I was like, so how can I communicate here? to this guy right. that right. he doesn't need to be like this? And we never saw him again. Whatever it was, never seemed to launch. And I just think, you know, how much did he smother that idea by kind of keeping it to himself and then not being able to be connected to investors, designers, hackers, developers, and people who could have helped him. Yeah, it's hard, enough when, it's hard enough when you have all those connections, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. To make still hard, different. right? Yeah, yeah, it's still very hard. You know, we caught you right on the back end of your uh, Tech City career. Mm. And uh, I know you were coming out of it at the time. You had all these things that you were working on. But I'm wondering, I- a year later, have you had time to process the time that you had there at Tech City and uh, to know how it kind of changed you and, uh, and what you kind of saw coming out? Uh, yeah, I mean... It, it took a while, actually. It took a real long time. It probably wasn't until November and then really probably January, February that kind of hit home what I'd been up to and what I'd done and what I'd seen and what I'd learnt um, and was you know, crazily ambitious about what I was going to get done afterwards. You know, I had to almost take most of the ideas out back and shoot them. 
Um, luckily, the school idea has, has remained, which is great. But um, it's been interesting to see how it's developed and changed and moved um, and how the organisation has restructured itself. And, um, you know, I'm not, not 100% sure whether it's making the right decisions at the moment. Because uh, Joanna was there, and then Joanna yeah. left a little bit early, mm-hmm. and now Gerard is, is running it. Mm-hmm. I mean, has the, has, the, has the organization itself changed? It- yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's shifted a lot. I mean, you know, there's been this recent announcement about LMP doing a lot more. Um, so it feels like the, the organization has shifted much more to a sort of uh, GLA-focused uh, London sort of piece, uh, rather than uh, the UK-wide sort of number 10 piece that it was before. Um, I mean, it, I think it still has an opportunity to do great, great work, um, and I still think there's, there's, a, there's a need for an organisation like that. Um, my concern is it, it, feels, it feels like the last 12 months have not been hugely productive. I don't know if that's um, a bias that, that's sort of ego-based or whether it's, you know, they're not making enough noise in the right areas, but, you know, it... Even as someone who takes a great interest in it, I still struggle to find information about it, still struggle to kind of really understand what it's doing, what it's trying to achieve. And I kind of feel that even with, with all the knowledge I have and access to these people, that's probably not a great sign. So I kind of, I'm urging Gerard, who I speak to fairly regularly, to, to really connect back with the community and really sort of listen to the needs and desires of, of the local people because that's the point of it. Um, you know, it's... But we will see what happens. I mean, it's uh, it's in a difficult transition period, and we'll have to see whether it's whether it kind of regains. I think some of the success it did manage to achieve. It's interesting because it's like this glaring. Uh, it's like this institution in the center of companies that are living and dying by the sword. Like, mm-hmm. that, do you have something that works? Do you have someone people want to invest real money? If not, then go somewhere else. And then it's this institution with this kind of this nebulous mandate that's mm-hmm. trying to exist in the middle of it. It's very strange. It is very strange. I mean, you know, as I always said, and you know, I don't, you know, I've always been a strong supporter of, of government doing what government can do to help, you know, and I think the implementations of policies that Rohan did and, and many others at Number 10 were superb, you know, SEIS, EIS, R&D tax credits. These are great, great policies and, yeah. and really have, you know, we've seen, that, we've seen the impact of that. We've seen that really rapidly increase activity in the area and, you know, shining a light on what's happening around here, you know, the, the work that you're doing, the work that the Three Beards are doing, the work that people like Up Global are doing and others, really celebrating entrepreneurship, you know, not only in the UK, in London, also across Europe. These are great things. These are really important. But I just wonder how, how much the impact of what kind of Tech City is trying to do now is really filtering down to people on the ground and whether or not it's become more of a sort of educational piece for, for uh, MPs and uh, other people who are not maybe quite as well connected or understanding it. And if that kind of glass ceiling and that sort of, that boundary there isn't permeable, then it, it, will, it will always fall into the same standard criticism that government organisations face, which is right. government's useless, it's slow moving, it doesn't really do what it needs to do, it doesn't listen to the will of the people. You know, and that's just, that's just going to be a real shame, I think. It's funny, it, it seems like its success has almost been its downfall. Right, because it, it, it did a lot, right? It mm. did a lot for tech city and a lot of the you know stuff when you were around and, and what it implemented in tax credits. Mm. And now it's now it's becoming a bigger thing within government. And so more eyeballs are on it, more people are trying to understand it, and that cause is actually making it less agile and can't move as fast. And Yeah, you know, there's a lot of... Uh... There's a lot more focus on, 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 on digital entrepreneurship. There's a lot more focus on coding in schools. Um, you know, and Joanna wrote a piece on Friday that I didn't think was very helpful to the cause, which was drop French lessons and replace it with coding. And it's, you know, these are the sorts of very dangerous statements because... Why don't you like that? Because I know you're a big fan of, of getting yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of coding. I'm a huge fan of, of, of digital education. You know, the question is not how do we get... You know, there's, there's kind of two parts to this, right? Yes, coding should be taught in schools, I think, um, in the same way that every subject should be taught in schools because the point of school and the point of education is to introduce people to concepts they're unaware of, not to introduce them to things they already know about. You know, it's, it's to get children in, integrated with, with history, with, with classics, with, with English literature, with French, with, with German, with thinking about things in a completely different way. And the question here, and I think what I feel Joanna should have really talked about, is you know, what does French look like when you put technology at the heart of education? 
right? You know, so it is the sort of work like you know that you're doing, right? Which is right. how do you use the internet to reach out to you know to French kids? How do you stop that sort of uh, you know quite sort of old school French exchange model that we had at school? You know, or those day trips to France in Calais where everyone speaks English? You know, how do you actually create a really meaningful education system that's powered by technology? You know, and that will reduce the overhead, that will reduce teachers' time, that will create a system where you can teach better and you can track better a child's development. And I think when you're already confronted with people saying coding is unnecessary, we need to improve English skills and math skills, saying that you want to drop a language or drop a lesson and replace it with coding unfortunately just plays into the hands that people think about tech, which is an echo chamber, it's the... Uh, privileged it's the elite it's, it's an arrogance it's it's not connected to the real world and i just think unfortunately by making statements like that it doesn't help you know i work really closely with the year of code initiative you know and these are the challenges we face you know and we face them with people who are doing similar initiatives you know which is how do you communicate successfully the desire uh, and the need for coding and the answer is you know, fundamentally we're getting into a very productized sort of system of computers you know, you can't you can't take your mobile phone apart anymore. You can't take your iMac apart. You can't you can't even replace the battery on your MacBook. You can't really get inside a machine anymore and understand exactly how it works. And it's all becoming so miniaturized and complicated that even I, as a fairly technical person, don't really understand what they're doing these days because it's got so clever. And I think, you know, how is a child supposed to to learn that? And how how are we supposed to educate that? And we're in danger of creating a generation of consumers rather than a generation of makers. And the point of teaching code is not that everyone should be a developer or everyone should program. It's that you understand the basic fundamentals of a very, very important communication method. And I think to deny any form of communication, be it language, you know, be it coding, be it maths, be it English, be it art, be it music, is a failure for the, for the entire human race. And I just was very disappointed that it seemed like a a PR stunt and it seemed a deliberately inflammatory remark and I just it kind of upset me I just you know it doesn't seem to be a very intelligent uh, view right now understood you know point on that I'm, I'm curious what it was like to come back into this scene after you were like kind of a year out <laughs> and to look at like did it look like it used to look or were you like wow this has changed a lot and and in the last year, even we've seen you know King dot com, mm. we've seen yeah. Just Eat, we've seen you know some some bigger moves happen in, in this community. Did you come back and you were like, wow, this has changed a lot? I mean, I know you weren't really gone from it, but you were out, your entrepreneur hat was off for a year, right? Yeah, um, I mean, a I I really tried to make sure I didn't go away. You know, my my entire job and focus and aim was was to be accessible and to right. open that that you know open the corridors of power up to those who who needed them. Um, so, I mean, luckily I saw the transitions. I mean, it's been tricky putting the entrepreneur hat on, um, and it doesn't fit as well as it used to. Um, why, why is that? My time in government really changed me, and it changed me in ways I didn't, I didn't expect it to. Um, I came out with a much, much more powerful sort of social mandate, and, and my, my sort of problem-solving hat on, I want, I want to solve bigger problems than just... You know, how do I bring money in? How do I create an app that people want? How do I, you know, create a business that, that is revenue positive? I kind of wanted to look at really structural problems. I wanted to look at education. I want to look at society. I want to look at democracy. I want to look at much, much bigger problems. And so in some ways it was, a, uh, it was fascinating to, you know, really fascinating to see the inside of something that, that not enough people get to see, to see the problems that democracy faces, that... Uh, the current UK government has the internal problems that government faces, um, as well as how that impacts people externally um, and how you can see that the internal decisions fail to get communicated externally, how the press and government interact. Um, and so I, I kind of came out with, with, with a really sort of strong belief that there are much, much bigger problems to, to apply myself to. Um, <laughs> Which, you know, which is kind of what I've been spending the last sort of 11 months doing. And it's certainly not financially rewarding, but it's, um, <laughs> it's certainly morally uh, and, and ethically uh, and intellectually really satisfying. 
Right, it's almost like you kind of went to the mountain and spent some time up there on your own and you came back and a little bit, you were changed. Bit, yeah. But you were talking about this on the first episode as well. Right. And I, remember, <clears throat> I remember being a bit surprised because uh, you came out with this you know, real mm. kind of social mission. Whereas, let's be honest, most 90% of the people that come on the show are trying to create something that mm. you know, ultimately wants to be worth you know, a bunch of money. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't mind some money. But, uh, <laughs> what, what do you think of the recent like IPO phenomenon, and do you think uh, London's growing up, or how, do, how does it feel to you, just the, the whole scene? Um, I think it's, it's maturing, you know, and it's, it's kind of beginning, it's beginning to validate itself, you know. You, you kind of take the scene as, you know, almost as a, as a startup in of itself. You know, it's it spent the first sort of, you know, four years kind of working out what its minimum viable product is, working out where its revenue streams are, and it's beginning to kind of sort of coalesce now, and it's becoming, you know, beginning to see sort of almost productized versions of things happen. So, you know, I think we'll see after King, you know, a series of IPOs drop, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, hopefully a couple of quarter, and that should start to really verify that. You know, there are big problems, which is, you know, big private equity houses, huge sort of, uh, you know, family funds and, and global funds are not yet investing into this uh, in the same way they are in America. And so we really need that to change, and the only, only IPOs are going to change that. You know, if we can get the confidence up, I mean, we're seeing the housing market go through a, a huge resurgence slash bubble. Um, and again, as we've, you know, as we've been saying for years, you know, we need people to be investing into tech and, and sort of new businesses in the way they invest into property. Um, and when we get that, then we'll get a much more um, commensurate model that we have in the States. People are much more, you know, because there's a lack of social security, there's a lack of um, support uh, in, a, in a very socialised sort of way, you know, the Americans tend to be much more speculative. They tend to invest into stocks much more. They tend to have to um, find ways to keep money coming into the system. Uh, after the, you know, after they retire, and you know, Twitter and Facebook and others are, are good ways to very quickly, you know, double, triple your money if you're if you're smart and you're savvy. We need the UK to get to that similar point where, you know, people like my you know, my parents you know, have have money. My father invests in classic cars instead of tech. You know, you know, we need that that piece to change. You know, my father's very happy to, you know, buy a lovely car at, at good money and use it. And know that he'll break even when he when he sells it on, you know, and he gets the enjoyment of it. We need we need people like my father to to say, well, look, actually, I can I can buy King dot com. I can hold it for twelve months. It looks like they're going to do well. I can double my money and I can walk away. And until that's kind of going on, we're still going to lag a little bit behind. Unfortunately, I think the U.S. But it's hard to know whether the U.S. is also going through a hype cycle at the moment. Um, there's a lot of valley companies that I think are, va- are valued far too highly. Um, you know, Cora has just been valued at a silly amount of money. Um, Cora, what do they do? They're like a Q and A uh, site. Oh, okay, they're like a yeah. fancy Yahoo Answers. Q U O R A. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and they're getting what bill, billions and billions. Yeah, they're getting billions in valuations, and it just doesn't feel right. And I think at some moment there's going to be a shift from. At the moment, I think people are valuing the data, the demographics, saying, "Oh, they've got X number of users." And I think at some point that's going to shift from the realization that unless you have the sort of knowledge that Facebook has, you have that true identity, that true demographic knowledge, that true understanding of, of, of being able to behaviorally map and predict where people are going to be spending money, your inherent value is still your IP. And unless your IP is smart, then actually the valuation of your company is probably flawed. You know, we've seen Google acquire you know, people like Nest, you know, they've got an absolute steal considering the IP and the intelligence in that team. Um, so I think, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, you know, Facebook acquiring Oculus Rift, you know, an incredible deal. You know, expensive. Mm, you know, Facebook can afford it as a percentage of what they have. It's nothing. But there's really deep, intelligent tech. And the fact that they now own that, you know, that can be the future of retail. That can be the future of, of online interaction. That can be the future of lots of things. And... Uh, you know, to get it for the cost they got it right now, absolute bargain. You know, but again, that's that's a deal that's taken off the IPO market. That's a deal that you and I, as as potential speculative investors, cannot 
cannot play in. So I think looking at what Apple and Facebook and Google, the super smart people with super intelligent MMA you know, minds and great tracking and great understanding and knowing their product roadmaps, they're the sort of, for me, the signals. Um, I think what's kind of happening on the public markets is potentially inflated at the moment. Right, interesting view. And what about something like WhatsApp, where they're spending $16 billion for a site you could argue they don't have much information about the people except for usernames? It doesn't make a single bit of sense, sense to me. Okay. Yeah. Just but, de- you know, defense. It's interesting to me. Well, I guess it, it yeah. will play out in a way. I mean, you yeah. know, I guess the Instagram buy at the time was, was thought to be a little toppy, but now sure. maybe... Well, the does U- it, YouTube buy in 06 was yeah. toppy by Google too, right? Mm. So. But I think you're right. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's defensive land grabs. Yeah. Right? It's, well, I read an article. It was, uh, you know, Zuckerberg uh, gave up 10% of his company instead of, you know, the, the castle or whatever, right? So. Oh, you mean for that? You mean for yeah. that acquisition? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. And, yeah. uh, and I was listening to the Instagram founder interview like three months before they were bought. Mm. And it was just interesting like to see. But like you said, I mean, just because it's just because it's users uh, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's cash. The, the uh, virtual reality acquisition is something really out of left field for Facebook, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Are they trying to get into payments now? Is that what you Yeah, saying? yeah, so FT article today or, <clears throat> yeah. or yesterday, which is really cool. It seems, um, it seems like they would have done that a long yeah. time ago, but I guess they had to be careful of their business model not to and I become think, everything mm, to everyone. I, it's, for me, I think that's so exciting. From, coming from a back, background of sort of moving money for, for companies and stuff, it's like it's... Uh, the the banking system is slowly breaking down. Mm. You know, Tavid on TransferWise is doing just yeah, amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I think Facebook and the money behind Facebook and Google and these guys... And, and Bitcoin is part and, of that conversation and, yeah, as well. Yeah, Bitcoin. I think is... Uh, it's just so exciting because, you know, guys like Western Union and stuff like that, it's just it's so <laughs> fucking old school. The Western Union yeah. fees are like, you know, oh. u- u- usurious, if that's yeah, the word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, just, it's, and it's mostly poor people that pay these high rates. It's yes. so, and if you've ever tried... so. Um, just one of our investors in the coffee business was in Chicago, and so he had some UK stocks, and he couldn't take his he couldn't sell his UK stocks and just transfer the UK money to our UK account. He had to then settle into a UK account. It took him five months, four or five months, no to way. open up a UK account and settle his stocks money, in money a UK money, account. Money rather than issues and it's just like that's that's not. That can't be. That <clears throat> right. can't. That can't. Exist. And whether Bitcoin is the future or not, when you see these like transaction fee-less tra- mm, you know, right. changes of moving this you know money around mm. the world, then that's a great way to show how banks are really not doing things but, the right. Yeah. Way. I mean, Colin will tell you. I mean, there's there's no cost of them tran- transferring it anyway, right? No. Like, and it's happening in, in in real time. It's happening yeah. in, in in picoseconds. Sure. You know, they're just charging the consumer because they can. I mean, it's, you know, this is the. You know, this is, I think, some of the myth. Like, as a consumer, we look at things like Bitcoin and we, we look at all these benefits. We have them, right? We have an electronic banking system. We have, you know, feeler system. It's just, unfortunately, you know, the sort of the grey hairs uh, sitting in their pinstripe soups, you know, they don't, they don't want to lose that margin. They don't want to lose that, that, that fee-earning piece. And it's only until, you know, ideas that we've seen in the States play out in a, in a in a deregulated market like Simple and others appear and challenge that, that, that mainstream view of whether you should be paying for banking at all, whether you should be paying for fees, that's the only time it will shift. And the UK seems to be kind of coming around. You know, the big banks are sniffing around these options. They're trying to look at what's possible. But still, it's innovation teams and, and, and you know, digital leadership teams reporting back up to sea levels and the board it's not quite yet at board level acceptance that actually if you want to survive the next 100 200 300 years like you previously have you're going to have to lose 25 percent of your business in yeah. terms of and what it, you're making because it's that's how it's going to go yeah it's going to take them years i mean we were, mm. we were both in banking for a long time and banking just like any yeah. entrenched industry mm. they just they refuse to acknowledge because their fees are so high I mean, you know, the transfer fees are probably 100 times the cost of, say, mm. a TransferWise or a Bitcoin transfer. Yep. So they'll hold on to that as long as they can, and then they'll adapt. They'll probably miss some market share along the way. And Of course, and, you know, and it's so hard to take your money out of a bank, right? Like, if you've got a mortgage, you've got loans, you've got an overdraft, right? Boom, you're locked in. You know, you can't move. And they know that. You know, they're very, they've survived for 300 years because they're exceptionally cynical and intelligent at understanding, you know, human factors. Yeah, it's where all the tall buildings are in the city. It's for a reason. No, I, that's why I love the, I love the Facebook guy because Facebook's not going to sell out. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm. that's what that's what I, ha- I I hate 
it stifles innovation a lot of time when you know these great companies sell out a little too early yes. to like a big yeah. bank or something like that, right. and their tech gets swallowed up and it gets pushed to the side. Whereas if Facebook can really sort of make a make a go at this, um, then they can really change the mm. the, the playing field. I mean, and face, they, you know, Facebook can link you know, what what it seems like the, you know, the mission right is. You know, that mission is a, is a more open, connected world, right? right? You know, kind of Facebook's the kind of Trojan horse on that mission. You know, if you've got real identity and then real payments, you know, that's it. You've stitched it up you, and you've, you've solved proving who people are because it's backed by 10 years of Facebook data. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got your own credit scoring mechanisms, et cetera, et cetera. You can completely invert the pyramid, yeah. You, know, you can completely sort of rewrite the database on, on how finance is done. And that's incredible. Yeah, it gets really exciting, exciting there. Yeah. You know, the, this is London real. And so we're always talking about the city and, and how it's emerging and how it's the greatest place in the world for tech. But I always forget that Europe's right on our doorstep. I know the Three Beards is all over Europe, including mm-hmm. Bulgaria yeah. and uh, Amsterdam. Yeah. And you guys are everywhere. And I was just wondering if, if uh, how, how is Europe doing? I mean, we know centers like Berlin and, and mm-hmm. a bunch of other places are doing really well. We also hear from guys that have been on this show that they moved to London. You know, let's look at Just Eat. They were in Denmark yeah. and they yeah. came here. And so what, what do you see as the state of the union when it comes to that, you know, those kind of dueling prospects of do you move to London or do you, do you stay where you are? So I had a really, a really interesting uh, trip. Uh, one of the people I work with fairly regularly is Weira. Um, yeah. And uh, big fans. We had Simon Devonshire in here. Yeah. That's I mean, what a, what a dude. Yeah, um, he's a cool dude. Tall too. <laughs> yeah. Very tall. <laughs> that, that hair. Oh. Um, yeah. So I did a, a, a tour of sort of Central Eastern Europe visiting uh, with him, make, with Weira, making oh, okay. a big kind of going around a variety of sort of uh, tech centres and innovation hubs. What kind and of like Romania? Uh, yeah, Poland. so um, we do. Where, where do we do? Let, let me just remind myself. We did, uh, yeah, Romania, um, Slovenia. Um, it was a real back and forth trip. I can't, I can't quite remember. Austria involved, um, not Poland. You're like uh, a tech rock star. Yeah. You can't even remember where you are. It was one of those, you know, you, know when, you know when someone books you flights right, right. and you kind of forget yeah, because right. someone else is taking care of it. You, like you don't, it was just like turn up at so-and-so this at this airport. hour, you know, godly hour of the day, get on a plane right. and then appear somewhere and okay. you do like a day and then you go away again. Right. So you, all you kind of remember is the bar that you ended up in, in some old part of some Eastern Europe town, <laughs> right. drinking a beer, having a nice time. You kind of forget where you Feels were. a bit Russian. So what did you find? So what I found is a lot of this, you know, A, Europe is super diverse, as in, you know, France is very strong. They've got some really, <clears throat> they, they did a very similar policy to EIS and SEIS, but they didn't cap it. So you have 50% tax backs on any investments in the sector. Hmm. And that went through the roof. I mean, absolutely smashed it out of the park. Um, billionaires and, and multimillionaires are now heavily investing. Uh, there's a great space opening called 42 in Paris, which is huge. Uh, sort of big startup school, incubator, accelerator, all in one. Incredible. Um, Berlin is still crushing it. Low rents, super sexy. Uh, you know, lots of artisanal coffee and, you know, just really cool space. And that's kind of the start of... of what I see as there's a lot of places that are post-communist. Uh, you know, 25 years ago, in 1989, the Berlin Wall falls, the curtain comes down. And these places have been struggling. You know, and their, you know, sort of their parents' generation have been struggling with that transition from, from communism to capitalism. And that's a hard struggle. It's a struggle that, as Americans and Brits, we do not know yeah. in any way. You know, um, and there's now this emerging breed of entrepreneurs who want to create value and want to create jobs and want to create uh, opportunity but there isn't the money in the system there isn't investment there isn't um, you know there's community you know bits and bobs of it and, and, and the expansion of Silicon Drink about it's designed to, to help that and champion that um, but the money is still very much located in, in the old hearts of places. It is still in Zurich. It's still in Munich. It's still in Paris. It is still in London. And those financial centres, you know, as much as we talk about um, disruption, they're still, that's where the money is. And money begets money, you know, and money means that moneyed people can be near. And so it still is, you know, Switzerland and France and Germany, the wealthy countries that have the ability for speculative stuff. And tech is still speculative. It's not, it's not set in stone. It's not, um, it's not guaranteed. So I think Europe is doing a great job 
at, at trying. I think it needs to work more closely together. I think we need to celebrate uh, the strengths of each country and really use the fact that we have the right of passage. You know, we have the right of immigration. As, you know, as, as, as members of the EU, we can be anywhere. We can do anything. We can set business up. We can transact and trade very easily. Um, and I think that's the great strength. And London's really played to that strength by attracting talent from all over, you know, be it Bulgaria, Poland, um, you know, be it France, be it Russia. You know, and you know walking around here how diverse it is in terms of that. So I kind of want Europe to really coalesce and, and challenge America because you know, beyond, beyond Europe is Russia and beyond there is China. And these are huge markets waiting to be tapped. And you know, the Americans have often you know, failed at internationalization. As soon as it starts to be uh, non-English speaking, it tends to fall over. Twitter doesn't work in Germany because 140 characters is too short for the, uh, for the Germanic language. Is it? I didn't know that. <laughs> so it's never taken off, right? Okay. So They have those uh, really long-ass words, right? <laughs> they have some crazy... They have some yeah, beautiful words. But they're like 50 letters long. They're like yeah, phrases and they, you know, they mean the most insane things, right? right. Like they have, you know... Farfig Nugan. Right? Yeah, they have some incredible <laughs> words. I, I always think my jaw could never speak mm. German. Even if, I, even if I understood it, my jaw wouldn't be able to speak it. Sometimes I'm like, how do you say that? Hard language. Yeah. Tough on the ears. Yeah. Swiss German, too. Mm. Switzerland, too. Yeah. So it's never... Twitter. T- Twitter hasn't taken off over there. No. Right? You know, and I think there's lots of those things. Um, so I think you know, there needs to be some... You know, and the EU's doing some great work, actually, in trying to kind of mobilise this and, and investing money in it. Um, mainly because in lots of places, Romania, uh, Poland, other places, there's not a lot of promise... Elsewise, you know, it's very hard to transition an entire workforce from collectivization into individualization. That's very tough. Yeah, that's like hundred year transition, right. yeah. or you could argue even longer. Well, it know, took a long time to you know to get them from uh, you know sort of uh, individualized to collective. You know, that was challenging, and you know that came with you know, fairly heavy death toll in some places. Right. You know, to try and then you know tell them everything that you've been indoctrinated and believed is now no longer the case and it's every man for themselves, is a real challenge. I mean, that's, you know, the cognitive dissonance of that is quite huge, right? Yeah, and it's weird because Germany is this really weird exception because it was basically split down the middle. Mm. And when they, when they combined in 89, they, I mean, you know, West put so much investment yeah. into the East and, yeah. you know, just funded, basically, the emergence of that just entire country. Just absorbed it, right? Just yeah. absorbed it. Yeah. It's and, incredible. And so, yeah, they've come a long way. You Still know, yet to go to Berlin. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, really? Yeah. If Good. you do go, there's a silicon drink about that now. Yeah. You launched last Check week. It out. Yeah, on that same note. Just last week? Just last week. Oh, that's surprising. I was surprised mm. that it would... Uh, yeah, yeah we, um, we really wanted to make sure that one was Done really right. perfect cool. and, and looked after really well. Brilliant. And, you know. Where's like the European uh, vacation uh, movie where it's just drink about to drink about? Just drink about to drink about. Yeah. <laughs> drink about movie. Um, what are your thoughts on the States? You said you saw some mm. valuations getting a little bit high. Mm. Um, what do you see from the States that, that you like or you think that you know, we should be taking a lead from them? And, and what do you see that you don't like? Oh, God, God, without... A man with an opinion, Ben Southwark. I don't want to be careful. I've got some really strong, good American friends. Um, I was actually just... We were out in uh, Austin for South by Southwest. Oh, yeah, okay. And then did a road trip up to Boulder. Um, wow. So, uh, for anyone listening, do not drive through North Texas. Um, it is eight hours of just <laughs> Nothing almost the same landscape, just repeating. It's, it, honestly, it was... Flat. The most tedious. I mean, it was. I got into like a zen-like state. It was right. so flat and it's dull. It's Oklahoma, basically. It's the Dust Bowl, right? You know, once we got into um, New Mexico, there was a slight moment of excitement until we realized it was exactly the same. Except redder and more desert. Yeah. We got, I mean, literally, we would, there would be excitement in the car when there was a corner. Like, <laughs> it was, that was how bad it got. Was, um, I've done that drive. Yeah. I've done the West Texas drive. West Texas can be pretty, yeah, it's pretty bland. Pretty beautiful. What, where, where did we visit? Visit some some beautiful, beautiful areas of Texas. How you, is, don't, you don't realize how big North America is, right? In, in, like Canada, the U.S. It's just yeah, it, until you until you drive, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and, and then like, you're like, hold on a second. I just drove for eight hours. I'm still not even out of a state yeah. or a province. And right? yeah, we didn't. We, we drove for eight yeah. hours and didn't get out of Texas. Right. And yeah. we we hadn't even started at the edge of Texas. And like know? eight hours from London. You know, we'd be would be would be up in the Highlands. What was South by Southwest like? I know everyone said it's changed a lot. Mm. It's turned from like a non mm. used to be a place to recognize tech companies. Now it's a place where it's so big. 
Yeah, I mean, I my, it was uh, it was our first time, my first time. Um, yeah, disappointing is is the answer. I mean, we were really lucky. We went out with the the Hackney Council crew, the Hackney House. Right, they were so over that's there. An, an incredible initiative, right? You, a London borough paying and and taking people out to celebrate the local area. I mean, it's just unheard of. I mean, it's just incredible what they yeah. what these guys do. Just I was amazing. Surprised. So that was fantastic uh, to see. You know, you know. The only other people we saw doing that was was Berlin. You know, there was a German house. You know, we had a Hackney house. You know, and it's that we found that really interesting. Um, I was disappointed. I mean, we 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 didn't bother paying for the the conference pass, um, but it is too big. I think you know the the how big is it? Oh, God knows. I mean, it must. Like, like how many people? I would have thought it's got to. be... I mean, this is finger in the air sort right. of stuff. I mean, right. it's got to be ten thousand, twenty thousand, much more. I think it's because it's be, a music scene. It's got to be fifty thousand total scene. Really? Yeah, I would have thought. Okay. I Where does everybody thought. stay? Jesus. Well, I mean, this is, it looked like almost every house was airbnb and right. making a killing. Right. Okay. You know, absolute killing. I mean, there's people paying for their entire vacations on, you know, renting their house out for one week. I mean, you know, everything is like 800% uplift during, right. a, during South By. Right. And it's in the same spot every year. Yeah, I've never yeah. been. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I think it's just changed a lot of the years. It's grown so big, right. and so it's it's uh, probably just so much to get your head around. And plus, yeah. it's music, and there's film there, and there's tech, yeah, and, and the interactive piece. And I mean, we enjoyed it. Um, we, but we did a very sort of British approach to it, which is uh, there's a there's a wonderful street called Rainy Street, which was like this uh, depressed street that was 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 derelict uh, and got bought by property developers, and they just turned it into bars. So just made this little bar area, and each is these kind of really nice old houses with big backyards and they're all craft beer pubs with, with live bands and, and stages. And to be honest, that's where you could find the three beards. We found this great pub called, I think called Austin craft beer house had 50 different ales on tap. And we just, we just lived out the back of there and just, just lived on out. Twitter and just invited clients and our friends and just, that's what we did. I mean, that was our scene, right? Most conferences, sure. you'll find out with the, the deals are being made and all the real things are happening sure. kind of outside mm, the conference. And the, sure. the dinners and the, yeah. the good conversations. So yeah. Sounds like a good way to do it. I'm going to put you back on the spot and ask you mm. about the American scene. Ah. Um, and uh, I'm American. I tried to get so. away. Did you see what I did? I, yeah. I pushed that away. That was see? 12 months of pol- political learning. <laughs> Shoot the fat guys. <laughs> smart. But, uh, <laughs> what, what, I mean, I'm American. You won't offend me. What, what do you see that you like about what they're doing and, and, and what that you don't? Um, you know, I think... I think the Brits do a very bad job at uh, hustle, at self-promotion, um, at, at kind of trying to aim, aim super big. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot to be learned about the American approach to that, you know, which is you kind of really plant your flag. You really say you're going to go for it. You make it work. You're unafraid to fail, right? That pioneer spirit from, from the 19th century and, you know, from the Mayflower and, and having to do what you guys did, I think is really deeply embedded in a way that it isn't sociologically in the same way in the UK. Um, we're very happy just to kind of accept our lot in life in the UK and sort of trudge slowly towards the grave. And the Americans seem to have this kind of real fight and desire and passion. So I think it's just a ge- it was a, just a geographical inevitability. I think when you know, like you said, you yeah. go over on the boat, and yeah. then what do you do? And then you go west. If if, you, if you're poor, you go west and plant some crops. Yeah. And if you, if you want to go further west, until there's nobody else, and then go further west. Yeah. So I think it was just like by design. I think that whole mentality. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you know, those that survived were genetically strong and yeah. predisposed to, to to hardship and predisposed to to hustle and making it work. And you know, I mean, there's something I thought a lot about as I drive across. North Texas was like, who picked here? You know, who picked here as, as where to stop? You know, knowing that there's, you know, California and you know, Big Sur and beautiful places, you know, like, you know, why stop here? Yeah. But, you know, and it really fascinating sort of thing fascinating. to think and about. Like, else, guess what else was here? Native Americans wanting yeah. to kill you. Yeah. No police force, no army. Like, you're, you know, yeah. look at those John Wayne movies, like yeah. The Searchers. Like, you're out there alone. Beating sun, <laughs> tornadoes, you know, like, no rain, lack of water, like, you know, indigenous crops are low. Like, God, I mean, you know, really putting it, you know, wonder it, you know, no wonder Christianity is so strong because you need something to bind people and give them a hope and optimism. Um, so yeah, optimism is a great a great strength of, of, of the Americans as well as their their hospitality and their welcomeness, and I think that plays in business. You know, much more 
open and straightforward about getting stuff done, doing business, trying to make deals, trying to partner with people in the way that, again, you know, we, we spoke earlier about it, people keeping stuff to their chest in the UK, not really wanting to talk about it, not really wanting to share. Um, I, think, I think we do that really, really well. Um, I think the thing you do unfortunately fail to do is sometimes apply some critical thinking to, to the own hype. You know, people kind of believe their own hype and, and, and end up selling themselves their own dreams. And I think that, that causes a lot of, A, not very good products, B, maybe too many of them. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think that can, that can have quite profound effects on people that not everyone's cut out to throw ideas up and see them die in front of them. Um, and I think there needs to be a sort of a realisation and rationalisation about, about that. Um, but I think, you know, it'd be great if you could cut down on, on, on sugar and processed fats in your food. That would be awesome. But just for the general well-being of the <laughs> citizens of America? Yeah. Yeah, I bet you saw And the some... portion size, I mean, what's Jesus that Christ. about? And you're in Texas on top of that. My God. I yeah. mean, in Texas, I remember I had a couple guys from Texas in my fraternity at, at college, and, like, the size of your food is almost like your, your own uh, reflection of the importance of yourself. It's like, mm. look how big my food mm. is. And you're in Texas. They have, it, like, Texas toast. It is like hospitality. You know, it is. You know, I, was, I was lucky. We were lucky enough to be driving up with uh, Andrew Hyde, who's a really good friend, and... He was, you know, it's really nice to have an American with you, especially an intelligent American, talking about this stuff, which is, you know, it, a lot of it comes out of the Depression, right? A lot of it comes out of a time where there was nothing. And so now, in a time of prosperity, you're, you're not only showcasing your wealth, you're showcasing your, your, uh, your thankfulness, you're showcasing your, your gratitude, you're, sho- you're showcasing uh, your desire to, to give, to be generous, you know, and you know, the idea that you should leave the table if you're not completely stuffed and unable to walk. You know, was sign, you know, was shown as a sign of sort of weakness or, or penny pinching, you know, when in the boom years. And I think that's really interesting. You know. Is that what it is? You might be right. It's, it is dangerous. It's a theory. Though. I mean, these are all theories, Jesus, right? It's big food, probably same in Canada. Yeah, it's, I um, go visit my dad in Palm Springs and it's just, oh, like, just like crazy, yeah. We just have, have an appetizer. That's a whole other story. Um, ben, before we get going, I just want to know if you could tell us about, about the Ada Lovelace mm. Academy. What's going on? Uh, you tweeted out some info mm-hmm. about it recently. Yep. Um, yeah, tell us about it. So it's, uh, there's, a, there's a great initiative called uh, the Free School Policy. It's a Swedish uh, initiative that's been applied in, uh, in the UK. Uh, and the aim really is to, to propose new ways of, of educational models. So what, what I'm doing is um, kind of super niche. Um, it's uh, a free school for 16 to 19-year-olds um, celebrating creative and digital entrepreneurship. So that means um, those of you who want to be uh, web designers, web developers, uh, you want to work in, in marketing, uh, you know, digital communication, creative arts, you, know, you maybe want to be a freelancer, maybe you're an illustrator. And, and what we're going to try and do is, is take those two years you would uh, be at sixth form uh, doing your A-levels and teach you the, the, the mechanics of, of business, of, of finance, of communicating online, of building websites, of running a blog, of doing things like podcasting. Um, and really trying to help people, uh, especially young people, understand that, that this world that we live in is available to all. And actually, if you, if you have access to the internet and you have access to a computer, this is a path you can also take. So currently we're going to apply in September... Um, just started to assemble the governance board. We've got some really great people on that. Um, reaching out to people, trying to fundraise to kind of get some money in the system. Um, and we're taking a really unusual approach. We're taking a lot of um, pedagogical sort of learnings from uh, very expensive private schools and giving them away to, to anyone who wishes to come. So it's a completely free state school. Um, but we're doing things like the Harkness Method. The Harkness Method is applied in Wellington College, which is a super expensive, fancy uh, UK school, and Exeter College, which is a super expensive, fancy uh, American school. America, yeah. And it's uh, conversation-led, so you have, like, uh, one teacher-slash-facilitator to ten, and you invert the model, so homework is done in class, studying about the lesson is done on on the young person's own time, and they come to the, the lesson with questions, and the aim is to get the young people to teach each other. So the theory is is that not everyone will struggle at the same piece, 
they will struggle at different pieces. And if you can get uh, peers to educate each other, that knowledge will stick far more than if someone who already knows something rushes over it and just explains it and kind of takes that, I can't believe you don't understand that approach. You're really trying to sort of let uh, peers teach each other because we know in the world of work that's actually what happens. In you know, great work environments, you're teaching each other all the time. So we're, we're, we're taking all of that sort of methodology and, and really baking it into the system and really trying to do a lot, which is giving power to the children, giving, uh, you know, so the governance model, you know, what are the rules, what is the disciplinary structure, that's all going to be uh, on the young people to decide and, and to create. Um, we're working with a series of work partners uh, and interested people, uh, both large tech companies and small marketing agencies, to ensure that the curriculum is exactly what they need. And now we're just beginning to sort of work out what the finance model is. So uh, looking at uh, not only we get funding from DF uh, from the DFE, the Department for Education, but also we get uh, maybe money from those that we place into work and also working out if a young person wants to go on to university, how do we, how do we match that up? So how does the curriculum fit in the pre-existing standards? How did you decide that age, age range? Um, you say kids, we're talking 19, 16 yeah, I mean, to 19. I mean, they, they are yeah. young adults in all honesty. Um, a, it reduced uh, the amount of sort of limitations that I had to, to focus on. If I did 11 to 14, A, that's very young, I think. Um, you also have to do a lot more uh, work around special educational needs and, and, and focusing on that, um, which was something I just, as, as someone who's got no educational experience, just seemed like a bridge too far. I thought, let's leave that to other people. I also thought that 16 was the age where I was asked, what did I want to do in my life? And the answer was, I don't know. And mm. that question still comes up. I still don't know the answer. But I think at that age, I would have wanted a diversity of options and whilst not knowing the outcome of maybe exactly what I was going to do, being given a suite of skills that enabled me to communicate with the modern age would have been really, really useful. Um, so that's kind of why. You also think it's an exportable model that we can take uh, not only across London but also across the world. Um, and we're, we're talking with people like Draper University and Tim Draper of, of DFJ uh, about connecting up with them connecting up with people like General Assembly and Hyper Island, which are uh, educational facilities for, for 18, 19-year-old plus, um, and really trying to kind of connect that piece. Um, so a little bit of laziness, a little bit of lack of experience, but also it felt like a chance where we, we were a lot freer to teach in a much more grown-up, adult way um, without the sort of what are quite strict requirements regarding looking after uh, children and uh, things like you, you, you now have to have a... There's a form you have to fill if you deal with children to prove you're not a paedophile. <coughs> Criminal check and all That's that it. stuff. C- yeah. Yeah. CRV. Yeah, yeah. CRV, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, filled yeah. them up for. Yeah, yeah. 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 so we could avoid that after the age of 16, which means that you know, if you guys wanted to come and do a session on how to run a killer podcast, you could yeah. come in and, and, and yeah, do, do, that. do two hours with the kids. And you know, that's... You know, the community has really been banging my door down, saying, I'd love to come and do something, I'd love to come and do something, I'd love to come... So really trying to mobilise that community and really create a really sort of, you know, an open school where, you know, you can email me that week and say, like, hey, Ben, like, we've got a few hours, can we come and do something? It's like, yeah, sure. And really making a very sort of flexible, agile working environment that it is really 16 onwards that you're cognitively able to handle kind of those shifting and, and flexible sort of scenarios when you're 11 I think you need quite a lot of structure still <clears throat> yeah you can kind of take some responsibility when you're at 16 yeah for sure and be uh, accountable I yeah. think a bit more what do you say to the parent the cynical parent because I guess at 16 your parents are kind of still making mm. the decision they have to be fully mm. on board right mm. and so do you think do you think that parents of 16 year olds are at the point where they think that's you know that's not too big a risk like what, what do you say to them um, I mean I think I think we're going to face that challenge. And, you know, it's something we th- we're thinking a lot about. Um, what we're hoping is we will have almost a, a, you know, anywhere between a 99% chance of being, you know, if you go to this school, that you will get a job almost guaranteed um, and good, well-paying, long-term right. prospects. Um, 
in lots of ways, it will be a risk because it's a new school. But it's you know, in education, there is always a risk. And in the UK currently, when you know, going to a university could be a £32,000 inherited debt risk, we believe that, that exploring these two years with us is worth that, that opportunity and worth that, that time. Now, we're not asking and we're not, we don't expect it to be for everyone. But we do think we can prove that there is success and there is reward for doing it. Um, and hopefully, you know, knowing that they'll get this suite of, of bankable work skills that mean, at least for the next five years, they are highly employable and more employable than graduates coming out. So they have a three-year head start, which enables them to gain a lot more on, you know, on-site knowledge. If they can get that, then they're going to be well ahead of their, of their peer group by that time. And, and we think do, that's really crucial. How do people uh, find out about this? Is there a website? And, and if people there is. So uh, adalovelaceacademy.com. Um, it's, you know, it's still a work in progress. You can see all the thoughts and all the thinkings. Uh, there's ways to get in touch with me and tell me you know, your thoughts and feedbacks. There's a donation system. You can donate money and, and help us. Uh, we're going to hopefully do an Indiegogo campaign in the next few months. Cool. Um, and, yeah, so the, sort of as, as it happens and develops... More and more information is going to go on that site. It's going to be a video with me soon saying the same things I'm probably saying now and just sort of talking about it all. And I'm really trying to sort of get people excited about this idea. Um, awesome. it's, a, it's a bit of a challenge, you know, it's different to doing a startup, but um, yeah. Yeah, lots of similar so. stuff, but also with big, big problems in it. Yeah, we, I think it's incredible. But you're right, you, you know, you're, those are big lines you're trying to move in, in sort of the, the fabric mm. of our foundation of society and potentially it's great. super Thanks. rewarding yeah. too if you get yeah. it right so we'd be yeah. definitely yeah. down for uh doing some podcasting instructions cool. i think yeah. everyone should yeah. do a podcast personally yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> I mean, why not right yeah. um if people want to get in touch with you your twitter at in the company of yep what's that about uh so there's a failed uh, a failed startup okay. from, from when i was 18 uh had a, i still own the domain it was called in the company of us um and it was going to be a uh, a site where musicians, poets, and artists could basically have a virtual gallery online. Um, and you know, we we built it. We had the code, and then we just kind of lunched out in the way that you do when you're sort of 18 um, and also a musician. So. We, what we realised was since we couldn't even be bothered to update our own site, perhaps <laughs> no one else was going to be bothered either. That's a good sign. Um, so <laughs> 18, got, how, how, how many years ago is that? It's, like uh, it's pre- about 15 years ago yeah, now. So. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, you it's can follow, follow you on Twitter at In the Company of. Yeah. Uh, and Chew the Fat, they can catch you um, at, at hosting the next yeah. few Chew the Fats. Yeah, the next That's all three six, beards? Yeah, so threebeards.com. Right. Uh, and next Chew the Fat, 6th of May, uh, with, with Dayhan from Design Museum. Super, it's going to be I'm so excited it's going to be awesome yeah I had a lunch with him about six months ago and it was the most intelligent and stimulating lunch I've ever had in my life wow such a bright man wow and uh, Silicon Drinkabouts uh, you're at those and you're going to yeah. be you can still be touring around Europe yeah. occasionally for those yeah, yeah. I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got another European tour coming up uh, how many are there in Europe now I wouldn't like to say. I think okay. I think we're at about eleven, Jesus. and we're expanding into it's, it's, you know Austin, you know New York, you know. Yeah, we're taking over the world. That's really it's crazy. Insane. Actually, it's patio season too, so yeah, that's when I, I come out of my cave in the yeah, summertime. Yeah, now you know the weather. The weather's really kicking off. It's gonna yeah. be. Yeah, us Londoners love a little sunshine, man. It really changes everything. It so, really does, yeah, right? Yeah. The whole attitude of London just... Yeah, it oh. flips on and can flip off like that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, be ready. Um, ben, thanks so much for coming back. Uh, you know, you really kicked us off on such a good note when you decided to be our, our guest. I remember approaching you at one of the drink abouts saying, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We'd really like for you to be our guest. And you were like, I think I can do that. So, uh, no, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, I hope we've, uh, we've made you proud with uh, our episodes and the, oh, totally. and, and the content. So That means, you know, I don't know what pride I can take, but I just, uh, it is so awesome how this scene has, you know, grown and grown and grown. And, you know, I think, you know, me, Mike and Bryce every now and then just kind of pinch ourselves about, you know, over the last four years, like what was tiny and niche to where it's come now and just... It, you know, sometimes it does really humble you and you kind of, a little tear appears because it's, you know, you couldn't, we couldn't have dreamed that this would explode like it did. And, and to have been a small part of it has just been a tremendous honour.
Yeah, and it's a strange piece of history, and it won't be repeated again. Yeah. It's like you know that yeah. like London Tech arc that happened. You know. You know, those years. Gold Rush only happens once. <laughs> yeah, right. Awesome. If you're uh, listening to us on iTunes, you can watch us all um, at uh, the Silicon Reel uh, YouTube channel. Um, follow us on Twitter, at Silicon Reel. Mm-hmm. Facebook, um, send us a message, hello, at SiliconReel.com. We're always looking for guest suggestions. If you want to help out, you want to cut some videos for us, you want to introduce us to a guest, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And, uh, you know, if you're a kid who's uh, got nothing to do for the summer, um, we're always looking for interns, man. So if you want to get into the tech scene, if you're going to be in London, hit us up with an email. I think it's a great opportunity to help out some, some kids. That, to, Can to I make a plug for the, I also need? Yeah, go, go, if, go. If anyone wants to help me with the free school, uh, if you're a teacher, if you're a student, if you've got any ideas, please get in touch. I can't do this on my own. Uh, so anything is welcome. Interns also. I'll take interns. Yeah. Right, well help, said. Help Ben out first. Yeah, him first. And Help then these us. guys out first, and then come. <laughs> but we'll like, share. We'll share. We'll them. share. We can yeah. share. Yeah. But I mean, if you just want to get to know this community, like we, working with any one of us would be fantastic, and you'll yeah. get really plugged in and get to meet all sorts of people just doing the work. So probably more so than even a three-month paid job. But I won't get into that. <laughs> so there you go. Um, it's Silicon Real. It's about the people. Ben, thanks for being here, and Thank all you. the best. Thank you, guys. All right, take Cheers. If I had an aspiration for all companies to float here, um, it would, you know, you know, make sure that you've got a relationship with them early on, that they know why, and that they feel comfortable. I would like a lot more companies choose to float rather than sell out early. And one of the one of my chief bugbears in the in the UK and Europe is that often entrepreneurs sell out when they've got, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 million in revenue. And, um, you know, with a little bit of extra work, our ecosystem can help them produce companies that are 100, 200, 300 million in revenue.